0: That's always been the most interesting thing to me in building businesses, is to really look at and say, what are we building? What does the market need right now? Not what do we want to build, but what are we building right now and how is that going to get us to our future the company? Welcome
1: in to Studying Success. On this podcast, I interview investors and entrepreneurs who tell us about their life, the ins and outs of their industries, and the different ways that they have found success. Hi, Matt. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Will. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to it. I
1: understand right now you're in Lake Tahoe. How is it there?
0: I am. We've been here for a couple weeks, staying for a couple more weeks. Never been here before, but it's a beautiful place. And I'm not sure if you've ever been, but enjoying the mountain biking and being on the lake and you know being outside of the humidity and heat there down in Austin.
1: So tell me about Spot.
0: Yeah, for sure. So we started Spot a couple of years ago. I guess my fourth or fifth company to start at this point. I started my first company when I was around 16 years old. And Spot's been a company that really came out of nowhere. I wasn't planning to start a company, but really looking at traditionally in America, healthcare is a very challenging thing for a lot of people to navigate. Extremely expensive. And so in looking at that, the idea was most people in brands in our life we resonate with certain brands if it's like people resonating with nike and they want to wear that type of brand or a certain type of hat or drive a particular car or whatever that is but when it came to healthcare we don't really resonate with a brand and so the idea of creating something in that space is really intriguing and so spot what we do is we cover your medical bills when you get injured so we encourage you to go live your most full life if you want to learn how to skateboard if you want to learn how to rock climb if you want to learn how to do anything we encourage you to get out there and do it and if something were to happen to you and you get injured and you have to have surgery or anything like that for only a few dollars, five, six bucks, if you buy Spot, it will cover all your medical bills, which can be up to twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 in medical bills for only a couple dollars. So I'm building that and having a lot of fun with it. And the main thing behind the brand is just to encourage people to get out and live their most full life and know that Spot has their back.
1: Where did the idea for Spot come from? First
0: thing, I love to mountain bike. I love to ski. I love to do anything outdoors. I traditionally do. But that really had nothing to do with the opportunity or the idea Behind it. My co founder, a girl named Maria, who's one of my best friends, had the original idea of the company. You know, I always encourage a lot of people. People think you got to sit down and think about an idea and do all this pontification. And, you know, ca- how do you come up with an idea of a company and all these different things? And a lot of it's trial and error, a lot of it's being around friends and like having conversations. And over dinner one night, I just asked her if she could change anything about the insurance world where she worked and what would she do. And she kind of laid out this opportunity for Spot. And I just saw the opportunity and saw the need of it. It was a little bit different in the early days of the company. But in building a business, one of the biggest, most important things is to have an open mind and listen to your customer and look at what the market's telling us. A lot of times we have ego driven around kind of where what we think is right and what we think is wrong. Customers may tell us something different and we don't want to listen to that. We want to listen to our own ego. And that's really where it was born. She had this idea and we came together to be able to say, I know how to start companies up. She understands the insurance space and kind of uh, raised a little bit of money behind the business and kind of kicked it off and wanted to see if we could build something out
1: of it. Did you guys immediately raise money after having this idea or did you go out and talk to customers and pitch and sell a small MVP? How did that go?
0: I would encourage anyone, if you don't need to raise money, don't raise money. I think in today's environment, the idea is like, well, you got to raise money to start a company. That's actually completely wrong. I have a lot of respect for people that don't ever raise capital. They own 100% of their business and stuff like that. Every time you raise capital, you're actually giving a part of your company away to someone else. Now, Spot's unique in the sense of like, it's an insurance company. You actually need to raise capital. You actually need to build a team, do those things before you can even sell anything out there in the market just because of the regulation and legal implications behind it all. And so in that, to get to an MVP, to get to anything on it, we had to be able to raise a bit of capital. So we raised a couple million dollars on the business early days to be able to see if it was just feasible. In building a business, if you're going to build everything from, if it's a landscaping company, if you're going to make apparel with your friend and sell that or a resell shoe company or whatever it may be, or an insurance or a tech company the idea is really looking at it and being able to say okay do we need to raise funding behind this do we not need to raise funding behind this and when we looked at it to say to even get to an mvp we need to raise some funding behind this to even see if it's feasible and we are creating a completely new category in the insurance space and the insurance market is trillions of dollars the opportunity there and so in doing that we need to raise a little bit of money behind it get an mvp out there I'm not a huge qual and quant guy. A lot of people love to do qual and quant research. I'm not a big fan of that. I think you frame your questions to give you the answers and what you want. And so if you have this insight that like, I think people are going to really want this product, you're going to frame a question in which to get people to answer it. If you ask 10 people and two people say yes to it, you're going to say, oh my God, 20% of people, uh, 350 million people in America want my product. That's actually not true whatsoever. So to me, it's like, People will tell you they want something, but will they actually swipe a credit card for it is a whole other ballgame. And so we had to get to that part with Spot where someone could actually swipe a credit card, tell us if this was a feasible product or not. And that's kind of where we began the company.
1: So you said if you go rent skis, at the end of checkout, you can just click I want Spot and... That will add the $5 charge and you will get health insurance. Was that a marketing tactic to go to ski rental places and say, hey, we can offer this solution for your customers? How did that go and did that help you gain more customers?
0: Yeah, so I think in building companies, there's two things we look at a lot. Number one is getting in a purchasing behavior is really, really challenging. And so I'll start there. And then the second thing I'll go into is your customer acquisition cost and that you have to look into. And so within that is, so a purchasing behavior is really hard to get someone into. So the idea of, if you need a new pair of shoes, right? Like in your head, you're actually going online and you're researching shoes, right? And you're thinking about it, you're looking at it, it's like Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, like all these things. They're learning where you're going and they're trying to feed you information of what's of interest to you, right? Now, the goal is that you get into a Nike.com or Adidas or whoever you're into, And you're in that purchasing behavior right our whole thing is traditionally no one's actively going out and looking to buy insurance like insurance is extremely boring now question is is if i'm marketing to you through instagram and saying hey come buy spot come buy spot right spot insurance you're gonna be like what the hell is this but if you're now buying in a purchasing behavior, buying a lift ticket, signing up, like if your parents or anyone are signing you up for lacrosse or like anything, or your dad's going to buy a new bicycle or whatever it may be. If you're in this purchasing behavior, and then we're at the bottom of checkout. So you're already intending to purchase something. We're in the bottom of checkout and say, Hey, for an extra $6, you can just add spot. You know what I mean? And like, if you were to get injured that day of skiing or running on a marathon or whatever it may be, You can just add spot for six bucks. If something were to happen to you, we'll cover all your medical bills, right? Now, you're much likely to be able to say, I want to buy that. Like that's super simple to be able to do it. You're in that purchasing behavior. So if you can get in someone's purchasing behavior, it's huge. Now, I don't know if you know the brand four-hour energy drink, but their whole kind of thesis behind it was they actually just put it at the checkout counter whenever you were checking out at 7-Eleven or different things like that. They made these tiny little bottles, right? Well, that was a huge revelation. That's why you see things at all, like when you go to the grocery store, they have the cookies and the magazines and like the chocolate bars and all those things at the checkout is because you're actually not actively going and looking for those traditionally in the grocery store. But when you're checking out, you're like, oh yeah, just toss this little Reese's peanut butter cups or whatever it is on that, right? So the thing is that we know people aren't actively looking for insurance, but if we can get in a purchasing behavior, it's really important. The other side of the equation is customer acquisition costs you have to take into consideration. So every time you buy those headphones online or that chair online you're sitting in or the new shoes you have or like whatever it is we buy something online that brand is actually paying for you as a customer so they're actively marketing to you right so they look at it and say every hundred thousand dollars we spend marketing we look at now from a marketing expense we look at the number of customers for every hundred thousand dollars we spend and let's say we have a hundred thousand customers for every hundred thousand dollars we spend right which is not true but let's say that is well they pay one dollar for every single one of those customers right If they get 50,000 customers, then they pay $2 each customer. Traditionally, it's going to be $50 a customer, $100 a customer. So with us having partners market us bottom of checkout, we don't pay anything for customer acquisition costs. So we allow the partner to market us through checkout. We can attain customers and not pay anything to get them because our partners are marketing us. If I was marketing towards you on Facebook or Instagram, now I'm actually paying Facebook and Instagram, TikTok and others to market to you which now means I'm losing money every single time someone buys spot. So we looked at it, we're very much in the realm, and and I don't want to confuse people, but why we went the checkout route is we get in a purchasing behavior. We have little to no customer acquisition cost. If we went the Facebook, Instagram route, to where you're buying it at GetSpot.com, then we're actually paying to market to every single customer, and we're most likely losing money all the time.
1: So what was the incentive for these ski rental places and bike rental places and all of these places to... Put Spot on their checkout.
0: We have yet to have anyone just say we're going to put it here just because we want to protect people and we love people. Yeah. I think there's a sentiment of that for sure, but I think from our point of view, they do get a cut, an administration fee. So if we're charging ten dollars, they're going to get one dollar or two of that, So where they're actually making money every single time Spot is selling at the bottom. But the goal of Spot is like we're giving incredible value add to a customer at all moments in time no matter what that pricing is. And so we want to continue to give that value, even if everyone's making a little bit of money off of that.
1: So you found essentially product market fit on both the partnership side and to the side where you pay the monthly fee. Where did you go from there? Did you just start branching out and pushing spot to whoever would see spot or what was happening?
0: Yeah. So we actually had a big decision to make on the company. Now, finding product market fit on both sides of it, you have to ask yourself at all times on a business, are the decisions you're making the best for the long-term viability of, of the company? And what we had to be able to say was by doing direct to consumer, this monthly subscription, that's very different than selling bottom at checkout for the day of skiing or the season that your kid's playing soccer or anything like that. It's just very, very different. How you do the integrations, how you do marketing, how you do invoicing, like all these different things. And so those are the different ways in which we had to look at the business. So we had two different businesses kind of structured next to one another, running in tandem with one another. So we had to be able to pull back from that and make a big decision. And so what we ended up doing end of last year, towards the end of last year, is we shut down our direct-to-consumer side of the company and no longer marketed that and said, we're going to put all of our focus on the partnership side of the business and really focus on building this side of that. We don't have a customer acquisition cost. We're getting great customers to come into it. It's very, very scalable. And then we'll look at direct-to-consumer long-term. We know that product works. We know that market's there. But in reality, we needed to put all the teams focus on one thing but not run after the shiny object theory.
1: Why did you decide that the partnership business was better for the company to do right now rather than the direct-to-consumer?
0: It's interesting. Direct-to-consumer is way more fun, I've got to be honest. Like, that's like... The marketing side of it, you get to know your customer base, like all those different angles. But the market's ultimately going to tell you what to do. and You have to make decisions on it. But in today's reality, I guess there's two different forms of marketing direct to consumer. You have brand awareness campaigns, and then you have you're driving metrics from analytics across. It. A lot of marketing has become very analytic driven. And what that is, is you're looking at every moment in time, every minute of the day, every hour, every day, every week, month, etc., you're breaking down numbers to see is the blue ads on Instagram or Google or whatever converting better than the red ads or the purple ads or whatever it may be, or the skateboarding image compared to this. But at the end of the day, you're not in control of your own destiny. Tim Cook, CEO of Apple and Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, Meta, Instagram, whatever you want to call it. When they have a disagreement and Apple shuts off information uh, rights to individuals through Apple for Facebook, et cetera, your customer acquisition costs jump significant, right? Because like as much as I know about you, Will, we know a lot about you and you can agree with that or disagree with that. It is what it is. But the reality of the situation is, is that helps brands market. Now, if Facebook is not getting that information from Apple and they're not able to drive down into your likes and things of that sort then they can't market as effectively to you, which in turn makes my marketing costs go up, right? So if I'm paying $35 to acquire a customer and that's very healthy, I'm making $300 off a customer and I'm paying $35 to acquire that person. If that number now jumps up to $250 and I'm making $300, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, it didn't change my marketing or anything like that. My marketing didn't change, just the disagreement between those two parties changed it all, right? So I'm not in control of that in the slightest. This is why direct-to-consumer companies are having such a difficult time right now is because it's the only way you can really gain customers is through the Facebooks and the Googles and stuff like that. And that's just changing. And so partnerships just allowed us to control our own destiny and to market us to millions of customers out there through our partnerships Allowed allow them to do that bottom of checkout instead of the direct-to-consumer side to where we're actually reliant on direct-to-consumer traditional marketing marketing in which to do that. And I'm always a big advocate. Like in any company, you got to find your mousetrap. You got to find something that's unique to you that you can be able to build it if it's through community, if it's through all sorts of different things. And, uh, you know, I, I just traditionally think this is our uniqueness. Our mousetrap is to go the partnership route and then eventually direct your consumer when and if that makes sense. And so that's why we chose to go the partnership route in order to control our own destiny.
1: After choosing that path of going with the partnership over the direct-to-consumer, what did you do to really start building that business really big and going all out for that business? it's
0: you know, a great question. I think there we raised another round of funding. Part of it and the most important thing, I think different employees are, are right for a company at different stages in different moments in time. This is something I think a lot of founders get wrong. I've gotten it wrong in the past and things like that. You see someone's resume, you see someone, you're like, oh my God, this person's gonna be amazing or they're a good friend of yours or things like that, right? In the early days of a company, the most important thing you can do is create scrappy and bring together scrappy individuals that say like everything about, no matter if it's an apparel company, no matter if it's an insurance company, a tech company, like you talked to Spectre the other day, like a logistics type company, whatever it is, is like building companies is hard. It's extremely difficult. Everything about it should tell you it's going to fail. And there's days that you think it's going to, oh my God, this thing's going to go to the moon. And there's days that you're like in tears in the corner thinking it's all collapsing. The highs are high and the lows are low. And in this is like bringing all of it together for us is you need people in the early days of a company that just believe in it, that just like are scrappy, like us against the world. We're going to go figure this out. But when you get to scalability side, when we like go to the partnership, those individuals got you to a particular point. And sometimes they're right long term on the company and sometimes they're not. Now it's about the sense of like bringing in experienced team that understand the playbook that says we're going to take it from, product market fit. Now we've got to scale this thing. And that's not necessarily what I'm great at. Like my co-founder Maria is amazing at that, that scaling and putting process in place and doing that stuff. We just moved her to co-CEO on the company. And I think if I hadn't built other companies in the past, there'd probably be an ego hit there. But for me to really look at it and say, no, she's the right one to run this. We need to go build an executive team behind her to understand how to build and scale this. And then allow me to go build a brand and build the partnerships and build these different things and set the vision of the company company of where we're going. And that to me is really looking at it to be able to say, here's stages of a company. Early days is fighting, clawing, doing whatever we can to figure out how to build a business. And then once you do that, and it's like, holy shit, okay, we have a company that's making money, It's doing these things. Now we got to go build a team that can scale this thing. And it may be the early people the same people, and it may not be. And at the end of the day, you have fiduciary duty to the shareholders on the company, which may be only yourself, which may be investors, which may be employees. Um, So you're always trying to make the best decision um, possible for the outcome of the business.
1: What advice would you give or what advice did you receive to get to where you are now? You
0: know, the best advice I've ever been given in my entire life. 100% 100% is an old neighbor of mine growing up when I was 16 years old. I got fired from working at the Gap after three hours, which is a whole other funny story in and of itself. But I came home and the best advice I was ever given was one of my neighbors had a landscaping company and I asked him how to start up a company because I just wanted to do my own thing and longer story. But he told me, he looked at me and he goes fake it till you make it. And the thing is is it's 100% true. You know, you can even look at the guys like Elon Musk and like all these others and stuff like that. It's like the idea is he didn't know much about a electric cars before he started Tesla. And I didn't know much about like spaceships before he started SpaceX. I didn't know anything about insurance before starting insurance. Spectre didn't know anything about logistics before doing drop-off. Like none of us did. But the idea was like, we don't have to be experts. We just have to not want to fail. And that like overpowers it to where we become very knowledgeable about just driving into something and trying to learn and fail and over and over and over. And so that was just a very interesting insight at a young age, was to be able to say, fake it till you make it. Like, Who says I can't be an expert in insurance? Who says I can't create the alternative to the US healthcare system that is a multi-trillion dollar business? Who said Jeff Bezos, whenever he had the original idea of selling books online, Amazon couldn't go rival Walmart and create the most sophisticated logistics company in the world everyone told him he couldn't do it but like he believed in himself and that to me was the idea fake it till you make it believe in yourself because ultimately no one's going to believe in you until you've done it.
1: What resources, like books or podcasts, blogs, essays, would you recommend to learn more about business and entrepreneurship?
0: For starters, I'll be very transparent. I think most business books are full of shit, to be completely frank. And sorry for my French there. But I think a lot of times it's just an ego boost that these people are telling you what worked for them, which is great. It doesn't mean it's gonna work for you to really take advice and kind of drive into it. I think for me, there's one book that I read every single year that I had two mentors of mine, tell me to read that still has massive impact. And it's called The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. It's only about 150 pages. I'm not necessarily a religious person, but it's about King Solomon and the Bible. And it talks about how he inherited a great fortune, um, lost it all, and then built it back. And it's not necessarily about how to run a business, or it's not about anything like that. It's about how to treat people around you. And it's about the ways in which to live a life with of abundance in these different areas. And it's just a book that's had a lot of meaning for me. It's really, really short. You can read it in a couple of days, probably 150 pages or so. But it's called The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. I also think there's a podcast that I love that I listen to very, very regularly. It's called Business Breakdowns. And uh, They literally just break down companies, like they'll break down Costco and why Costco is an amazing business from a subscription. And they kind of created the subscription model and all these different things. And it's just fascinating. They just broke down the other day, the company Union Pacific, like railroads. It's just fascinating to look at, like, you don't even have to go get an MBA. I would advise not going getting an MBA and just listen to business breakdowns. Like it gives you so many different business models and why they do things and how things are done and stuff like that to where like, you can really understand why people made decisions and why they continued to make certain decisions over others different companies. So, you know, those two things. And then for me, it's like the best business advice I've ever been given is you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with most. And so if you want to achieve something in life, if all your friends you hang out with everyone calls them assholes, guess what? You're probably an asshole. Again, pardon my French. But in relation to those things, if you want to achieve and be around a certain level or be in accordance to i particular level of success in life, you need to surround yourself with those types of individuals and you need to seek those people out because you will be an average of the five people you surround yourself with most. And that to me has always been really, really important because it'll really kind of drive where I believe your future success and life will go with the people you surround yourself with.
1: Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was really fun and I learned so much from you. Well,
0: thank you, Will. Thanks for the time and listeners, anything like that, anyone ever wants to reach out, have a conversation, anything like that, way I can help is Matt at getspot.com and always happy to uh invest into the next generation.
1: I'm Will Burkhart and you've been listening to Studying Success.